Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. So I'm going to die. The water is steady rising in the attic, man. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not a test. There is a major hurricane that is in the Gulf of Mexico. Um, the winds have really picked up here significantly over the last half hour or so. The worst of the storm has now reached New Orleans. This is the moment we've been talking about, dreading. And I'm wondering how long these levees are going to hold on Lake Pontchartrain. This city absolutely devastated by Katrina. Uh, I'm told that the New Orleans police put out a call to all its officers saying, if you have a boat, bring it here, help us. These are people who did not have the wherewithal to get out of town. They didn't have cars. There's no way they could pay for a hotel room. They stayed in their houses because they had to. And then the water came up. This is life and death. This is life and death. There's just no doubt about it. I understand uh, the anxiety of people on the ground. I just can't imagine what it's like to be waving a sign that said, come and get me now. But uh, I want people to know there's a lot of help coming. 
know, maybe help is on the way. The immediate situation is with each passing hour, the situation gets more dire. The government said, you go in that Superdome and you'll get help, and they didn't get help. They got locked in there. There was no power, air conditioning, water. Thousands were stranded in wretched conditions. I want to thank Senator Frist and Senator Reid for their extraordinary efforts. To listen to politicians thanking each other and complimenting each other, uh, you know, I got to tell you, there are a lot of people here who are very upset. I want everyone in the world to see six days after Katrina swept through this city, five days after the levee collapsed, look, look in the face of the baby. So many of these people, almost all of them that we see, are so poor and they are so black. They're showing all these reports of people looting and, and they are doing that. People Destruction of the spirit of the people of southern Louisiana and Mississippi may end up being the most tragic loss of all. George Bush doesn't care about black people. The aftermath of Hurricane Katrina will go down as one of the worst abandonments of Americans on American soil ever in U.S. history. You need to know that our whole nation cares about you. And in the journey ahead, you're not alone. You just heard some pretty harrowing stuff. If you haven't picked up on what we we're discussing yet, this week we are going to discuss Hurricane Katrina. As we kick off the Atlantic hurricane season here on the East Coast, I want to cover one of the most catastrophic hurricanes to impact this country. This week we are going to discuss Hurricane Katrina and her lasting effects that continue to be felt to this very day. This story will show you just how unprepared the United States government was at the time to respond to such a devastating impact and how emergency planning had shifted from a natural disaster focus to a more terrorism-oriented posture. Hurricane Katrina exposed the gaps of infrastructure resilience within this country and how vulnerable our already underserved communities are to deal with the disaster impact of this magnitude. This hurricane left a lasting effect on not only the city of New Orleans, but the country as a whole. Agencies such as the Federal Emergency Management Agency had to essentially rewrite their entire operational plan when it came to dealing with natural disasters. However, I want to focus on just how vulnerable these communities are that may live at or just below the poverty line and how both state-run agencies and local communities can help bolster readiness and offer help following a disaster impact. Welcome to Episode 53 of Destination Disaster. I am your host, Devin Carney. Now hear me out. I, I know that Hurricane Katrina has been discussed ad nauseum in the near two decades since its catastrophic impact. But we can't learn and adapt if we don't have a historic perspective to base our preparedness on. Instead of really focusing on the meteorological history of this storm, I want to cover the impact and share of the harrowing stories that arose out of this storm. Now please be aware that this episode will contain graphic perspectives directly from those involved in this disaster as well as depictions that contain violence. If this makes you uncomfortable, 
I urge you to listen to another episode or fast forward to the end. Hurricane Katrina can be traced to a merger and mid-level remnants of a tropical depression on August 19, 2005. By August 24th, the storm had been classified as Tropical Storm Katrina. The storm briefly strengthened into a low-grade hurricane before making landfall between Hallandale Beach and Aventura, Florida on August 25th. From there, the storm would continue in a southwesterly direction, weakening before making her way back into the Gulf of Mexico, where conditions were ripe for rapid intensification. By August 27th, Katrina had gone through a third eyewall replacement cycle, prompting further intensification reaching Category 3 strength. On August 27th, the storm reached Category 3 intensity on the Saphir-Simpson hurricane wind scale, becoming the third major hurricane of the season. An eyewall replacement cycle disrupted the intensification, but caused the storm to nearly double in size. Therefore, Katrina rapidly intensified over the unusually warm waters of the loop current, from a Category 3 hurricane to a Category 5 hurricane in just nine hours. The storm size quickly forced many into preparation mode all along the Gulf Coast from Florida to Texas. On that very same day, Katrina would reach peak strength, reaching maximum sustained winds of 175 miles per hour and a central pressure of 905 millibars. The pressure measurement made Katrina the fifth most intense Atlantic hurricane on record at the time, only to be surpassed by hurricanes Rita and Wilma later that season. It was also the strongest hurricane ever recorded in the Gulf of Mexico at the time, before Rita broke the record. The hurricane subsequently weakened due to another eyewall replacement cycle, and Katrina made its second landfall on August 29th as a high-end Category 3 hurricane with sustained winds of 125 miles per hour or 201 kilometers per hour near Burrish Triumph, Louisiana. At landfall, hurricane force winds exceeded outward 120 miles from the center, and the storm's central pressure was 920 millibars. Prior to Katrina making landfall, there was a semblance of preparation as the Coast Guard, in conjunction with other federal agencies, had begun prepositioning resources around the estimated impact ring. The United States Coast Guard began prepositioning resources in a ring around the expected impact zone and activated more than 400 reservists. On August 27th, it moved its personnel out of the New Orleans region prior to the mandatory evacuation. Air crews from the Aviation Training Center in Mobile, Alabama, staged rescue aircraft from Texas to Florida. All aircraft were returning towards the Gulf of Mexico by the afternoon of August 29th. Air crews, many of whom lost their lives during the hurricane, began a round-the-clock rescue effort in New Orleans and along with the Mississippi and Alabama coastlines. All aircraft were returning towards the Gulf of Mexico by the afternoon of August 29th. Air crews, many of whom lost their homes during the hurricane, began a round-the-clock rescue effort in New Orleans and along the Mississippi and Alabama coastlines. Florida, Alabama, Mississippi, and Louisiana all declared states of emergency ahead of Katrina, free and required resources necessary to aid in any potential scenario. Preceding the impact, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration issued an ominous warning. The National Weather Service's New Orleans Baton Rouge office issued a vividly worded bulletin on August 28th predicting that the whole area would be uninhabitable for weeks after devastating damage caused by Katrina, which at that time rivaled the intensity of Hurricane Camille. During video conferences involving the President later that day on August 29th, National Hurricane Center Director Max Mayfield expressed concern that Katrina might push its storm surge over the city's levees and flood walls. In one conference, he stated, 
I do not think anyone can tell you with confidence right now whether the levees will be topped or not, but that's obviously a very, very great concern. Another critical failure of this disaster was the inaction to order evacuations with enough lead time. According to the Emergency Operations Plan for the state of Louisiana, the state's hurricane evacuation plan calls for local governments in areas along and near the coast to evacuate in three phases, starting with the immediate coast 50 hours before the start of tropical storm force winds. Persons in areas designated phase two begin evacuating 40 hours before the onset of tropical storm force winds, and those in phase three areas, including the city of New Orleans, evacuate 30 hours before the start of such winds. It's evident that this did not happen. And let's take you to New Orleans now where the press conference is underway with Mayor Ray Nagin. We'll get the updated information on his city's preparedness for Hurricane Katrina. The storm is intensifying uh, and is still pointed toward New Orleans and is not a meteorologist or an expert that I have talked to that says that this storm will not impact New Orleans in a major way. As a result of that, uh, I am this morning uh, declaring um, that we will be doing a mandatory evacuation, and I'm going to read the evacuation order uh, to the public. Whereas the National Weather Service has indicated that Hurricane Katrina will likely affect the Louisiana coast with tropical force winds and heavy, heavy rainfall by this evening, evening, whereas because of anticipated high lakes and marsh tides, Due to the tidal surge combined with the possibility of intense thunderstorms, hurricane force winds, and widespread severe flooding, Governor Blanco and I, Mayor C. Ray Nagin, have each declared a state of emergency. Now, therefore, I, as Mayor of the City of New Orleans, <clears throat> pursuant to the authority granted by LA Rev Stat 29-727, do hereby promulgate and issue the following orders, which will be effectively immediately and, and which will remain in effect until the earlier of five days following the date of this issuance or the declaration by the governor that the state of emergency no longer exists. Point one, a mandatory evacuation order is hereby called for all of the parish of Orleans with only the following exceptions. Essential personnel of the United States of America, state of Louisiana, and city of New Orleans, essential personnel of regulated utilities and mass transportation services, essential personnel of hospitals and their patients, essential personnel of the media, essential personnel of the Orleans Parish Criminal Sheriff's Office and its inmates, and essential personnel of operating hotels and their patrons. Unless covered by one of the aforementioned exceptions, every person is hereby ordered to immediately evacuate the city of New Orleans or if no other alternative is available to immediately move to one of the facilities within the city that will be designated as a refuge of last resort. This evacuation order would come 19 hours before the storm made landfall, going against the state's emergency operations plan. Buses that were expected to arrive to aid the evacuation did not show up due to enough certified drivers being available. Here, we see the beginnings of the failure at all levels to provide critical aid to the tens of thousands who needed it the most.
As the storm made landfall, the wind, rain, and rapidly rising floodwaters would quickly cripple the city of New Orleans infrastructure, taking the power in mere hours following the storm's landfall. Now when I tell you that this city and the officials that were in charge of emergency operations at the time were wholly unprepared for a hurricane of this magnitude, that would be an understatement. I believe that at this time, following the September the 11th attacks, the focus really shifted towards adapting to terrorist threats such as chemical, biological, and radiological attacks and neglecting more immediate threats such as hurricanes. Infrastructure within the city was ill-equipped and it would show as 53 levees would breach forcing water into the city, filling it like a cereal bowl. The city of New Orleans is roughly two feet below sea level, depending on which area of the city that you are in, hence the reason for the catastrophic damage and immense loss of life as a result of the flooding. Katrina's impact on the city was brutal as soon as the storm made landfall. Critical infrastructure rapidly failed. Communication networks were damaged, hospitals were left to fend for themselves, power to over 1.7 million people was severed, Fresh water became unavailable, and disease began running rampant. Aside from the lack of water, food, shelter, and sanitation facilities, there were concerns that the prolonged flooding might lead to an outbreak of health problems for those who remained in the hurricane-affected areas. In addition to dehydration and food poisoning, there was a potential for communicable disease outbreaks of cholera and respiratory illnesses, all related to the growing contamination of food and drinking water supplies in the area. President Bush declared an emergency for the entire Gulf Coast. Before the hurricane, government health officials prepared to respond and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention began sending emergency medical supplies to locations near the worst hit area within 48 hours after landfall. On the ground, all hope seemed lost. In less than five days, we would witness the complete breakdown of society following the failure of the critical infrastructure and basic services, leaving the public to fend for themselves. It's scary to think that this could be any developed nation if government services and rule of law become no more. In a matter of less than a week, citizens who chose not to evacuate or could not had to quickly adapt and fight for survival. Civil disturbances in post-Katrina were consistent with all existing research on disaster sociology, which includes that post-disaster widespread looting is a myth and were vastly overstated by the media ultimately fueling a climate of suspicion and paranoia which greatly hampered rescue efforts and further worsened the conditions of the survivors. Yes, you had your outliers that did engage in acts of violence. However, those reports mainly turned out to be nothing more than rumors. People were just trying to survive and help themselves when the government did not. Not only was the community forced to deal with a lack of supplies and communication from first responders, but many still deal with that trauma to this very day. Post-traumatic stress disorder has been reported in some 20% of those who wrote out the storm's violent impact. One year later, evacuees exhibiting serious mental health issues and being diagnosed with PTSD had increased to 14% and 20% respectively, which was unusual compared to other natural disasters. Residents of New Orleans with chronic mental health disorders were negatively affected by Hurricane Katrina as well. Before the hurricane, there were 196 practicing psychiatrists in New Orleans. After the hurricane, only 22 of them returned to New Orleans. Hospital rooms available for mental health patients also decreased from 487 to 190 because of the storm. That's one thing I think a lot of people miss when covering Hurricane Katrina. It's that services such as hospitals did not return to normal operation for months. 
medical professionals that did stay behind endured some of the most hellacious conditions and did not immediately receive help from government agencies. Emergency and acute care facilities were either badly damaged or destroyed altogether. This impact shows just how vulnerable the healthcare infrastructure in the United States is and without experiencing catastrophic impacts such as Katrina, would continue to operate while unknowingly placing the community at further risk. There is one good thing that came out of this hurricane impact, and that was the ability for hospitals to gauge their readiness and preparedness accordingly for the next big storm. According to an article written in Patient Safety and Quality Healthcare in 2017, hospitals are now more resilient and ready to face the onslaught of a catastrophic impact. Gone are the days of hospitals relying completely on government resources to resupply them if they become incapacitated. In 2005, FEMA was unable to get supplies into New Orleans because of a failure to properly position and mobilize resources. As a result, citizens and hospitals largely found themselves on their own without ways to resupply food, water, fuel, and medical supplies until National Guard troops were able to move into the city. Nearly two decades later, and several major hurricane impacts later, hospitals now have more resilient communications networks and redundancies. Instead of solely relying on the government for immediate assistance, agencies such as FEMA are recommending that hospitals now stock at least 96 hours of vital materials. Now that I think of it, this is the perfect segue into the bumbling response that was FEMA. I don't know if it was a lack of experience, focus elsewhere, or simply sheer ignorance. Thousands of lives were lost as a result of the federal government's ineptitude and inability to lead a coordinated response. And just as a heads up, I want to apologize right now. You may hear snoring in the background. My 17-year-old miniature pincher has decided to co-host this episode. It was fully evident that the impact of Hurricane Katrina would quickly overwhelm and even cripple local, county, and state response efforts. To preface... There is a document at the federal level called the National Response Framework that delegates response actions to local government agencies. Within the United States, and as delineated in the National Response Framework, disaster response and planning is first and foremost a local government responsibility. When the local government exhausts its resources, it then requests specific additional resources from the county level. The request process proceeds similarly from the county to the state, to the federal government as additional resource needs are identified. Many of the problems that arose developed from inadequate planning and backup communication systems at various levels. This lack of coordination and redundant infrastructure would ultimately lead to the situation that we saw. Communities of exhausted, trauma-ridden people just trying to survive. The destruction wrought by Hurricane Katrina raised another, more general public policy issue about emergency management environmental policy, poverty, and unemployment. The discussion of both the immediate response and of the broader public policy issues may have affected elections and legislations enacted at various levels of government. The storm's devastation also prompted a congressional investigation, which found that FEMA and the Red Cross did not have a logistics capacity sophisticated enough to fully support the massive number of Gulf Coast victims. Additionally, it placed responsibility of the disaster on all three levels of government. Ultimately, while death estimates remain inaccurate to this day, it is believed that 1,400 people lost their lives as a result of this catastrophic hurricane. Over $125 billion in damage occurred and ultimately would change the face of a vibrant city forever. 
New Orleans isn't the same after the impact to this very day, as many hundreds of buildings still stand vacant and loom as a haunting memory for those who returned to pick up the pieces. I want to thank you all for listening this week. I do apologize for the delay in getting an episode out, but you know, life gets in the way sometimes. I truly appreciate all of your support, and please bear with me while I get caught up in providing the very best content that I can to you all. Please be sure to leave a like, share the show, and check out the merch that is available for purchase. Until next week, this has been Destination Disaster. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.